0: Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Got a chock-full episode here for you this week. We've got everything from the Member Pro out at Seminole. We've got the Arnold Palmer coming up this week. We've got late-round heroics from the Honda to talk about. Uh, Squares are in the building. They're on the map on the PGA Tour with their first professional win with Sepp Straka. So shout-out to Squares Golf Shoes. We've got everything from Maryland State Golf Association scheduling to talk about. We've got GAP and AGA and DSGA, Delaware State Golf Association to talk about. Um, Golf season is really, really close to being just in full-fledged action here on the East Coast. I know we've got the PGA Tour wraparound schedule that keeps the pros in action all year long. But, Dante, us AMs are starting starting to see the light of day here.
1: We're getting there. It's driving me nuts because one day it's fifty and rainy and the other day it's thirty and cold and windy and you just can't you can't catch a break. I'm really trying to get out there so I can hit some balls and groove in this the swing and the stuff we worked at in Palm Springs in hopes to possibly play maybe a couple tournaments this year. I'm not very tournament heavy this year, um because of obviously wanna try and go through some swing changes and really really narrow down the game but i know i know you got a plethora of you got a crap ton coming up
0: i do and it's exciting man i'm, I'm pumped up um before we get into it though you know i think first and foremost we got to talk about what's on everybody's minds april augusta um little did i know i'm wearing our last season's augusta merch if you're watching this on youtube I'm also drinking a transfusion out of a master's cup from the taste of the master's last year. So little did I know, maybe it was a little foreshadowing, but I'm ready for the master's too.
1: Yeah. It's just that. It's that one weekend that's right around the corner where you're just looking forward to. And I think we've discussed it plenty of times where it really kind of kicks off in my opinion, the golf season on the East coast. Like I know the golf season starts pretty much once they hit the West coast swing, Hawaii and all that but it, it's golf for everybody at that point. Well,
0: speaking of golf for everybody, I think let's let's jump into our first story of the podcast here. Patrick Cantley got a kind of under-the-radar win this past weekend, not on the PGA Tour, but out at Seminole Golf Club, the pro member event they had out there. Guys, shout-out to Rex Hoggard uh, on Twitter. He posted the final uh, results of this pro member. When you look at the pros, Dante, this was a who's who of top fifty in the world, and then a who's who of up and coming top fifty in the possibilities in the world as well. You had guys like Ian Poulter, Harold Varner the Third, Patrick Cantley, as we just said. Uh, you had the Corda sisters that were out there, Cam and Tringali, uh, up and comer like I had mentioned, Brandon Matthews, Bo Hogg, Tommy Fleetwood. This was a world renowned event hell this could have been televised and probably gotten as many viewers as what the pga tour gets
1: that was something i was just gonna say that was what i was thinking in my head is is this is stuff that they can also you know have production there i mean anybody i mean we're getting to a point where we can view and watch golf pretty much on anything it's like why not get these type of events you know think about it too just get the players and just get cameras around you don't have to have You know, all the fans and all that Mm -hmm. for the revenue base like the PGA Tour has because we talk about it all the time where I get so annoyed with the PGA Tour schedule because it's the same courses over and over and over again where it's on like these massive amounts of land that are flat and just in different parts of the country where they can just pack fans because it's a business. It's a revenues-based business. But if you want to see, like, golf on these courses, and we all know these courses are out there, and there's courses that we may not even know that are absolutely just insane, put them on these type courses, get some cameras out there, and throw it on a YouTube Live or something. I mean, you can easily get great production value out of it to get some quality golf. I mean, look at the scores.
0: Well, and I think, right, like Seminole, golf club captured the audience uh, of the year. I think when, when, when the pandemic was really at its worst Um, we saw the tailor-made driving for relief, make its appearance out there with, with Rory McIlroy and and Dustin Johnson. And, you know, the other guys that made that driving for relief kind of showcase event um, come to life and come to, to Seminole. Um, The course was for the first time ever shown on TV and I think it showed out. Everyone was kind of amazed at this really unique golf course down in Florida. Um, I think courses like that, events like that, um, now maybe the member side of things, you know, the member of Seminole might not want that kind of TV coverage on a pro member event. Um, no word as to what kind of money was thrown around. Um, you know, if you can, if you compare this to your member guest at Running Deer or the member guests that I play in at Glen Riddle or Ocean City or even my uncles down in North Carolina, there's a lot of cash pots flowing around, right? Like not just the, the money for the event. So maybe the Calcutta doesn't want to be spoken of. Maybe these kind of side bets and whatnot don't want to be spoken of. But when you've got guys like Roy McElroy, Matt Kuchar, Ricky Fowler, uh, Brad Faction, all-time great Brad Faction, all-time Ryder Cup great Ian Poulter in the mix, Justin Thomas, Louis Oostezon, you kind of want to just see the inside workings of an event like this.
1: Yeah, you really do. I mean, especially seeing some of like the Ams and some of these names, and either whether they're you know up and coming Ams or they're just celebrity status, it's it's cool to see. I mean, we've watched the match plenty of time, but I mean, you can get that same aspect with not you know not just four guys or or girls. It's you can get a whole team. And I, I want did they say anything? What was I mean, it's pretty low scores here, so I'm assuming it was a either a two man scramble event or possibly a better ball. Like, is there anything I'm, Im-, about I'm imagining better.
0: I'm imagining better ball because as I'm reading this kind of like um, you know results package, it basically says so. Patrick Cantley and his partner Mark Flaherty won the gross division. What I love about this is there was a net division, so you start to see the disparity between some of the members um, and their and their final handicaps, right? Um, just pointing out like Patrick Cantley who shot 62 with his partner, Mark Flaherty almost won the net division two, shooting a 61. So there was really only one stroke difference between their gross and their net, uh, which I think is really cool. And probably goes to show you how good a lot of these members are that play out at Seminole too. Um, but I, I, two other things I want to point out that I think are just really cool. Um, you see Roy McElroy playing with his father, Jerry McElroy like all right rory shout out to you getting your dad a membership at Seminole out of all places that's pretty dope um you see other guys that made a massive amateur push but never really amounted to much in the pros buddy marucci who gave that famous USAM battle with tiger woods down the stretch back in like the early 90s uh cool to see names like that out there and the only i would say celebrity uh is tom brady yeah, I think yeah. the the only, like, big celeb name out there is Tom Brady, which, uh you know, you see guys like Chuck Schwab, which is and Schwab on the PGA Tour. Um, You see big money names, but no, like, other big celeb names other than, you know, the GOAT himself out of Tampa, Florida.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's cool to see. Again, I think it would be dope if they had it televised. But like you said, it's it's – you got to wonder. I mean, it's basically pro member. It's your mm-hmm. – to your high-end member guest at yep. the end of the day. Yep. So that's cool to
0: see. I. It brings the question, right? And and I think this is what's so fun to talk about the hypotheticals here. Um, we talked about it when we saw the four-day uh, Am Pro events out at PGA West. We saw it then again at the uh, at Pebble Beach, and we said we don't really see that style of play out in the East Coast. And then. While Florida is the East Coast, Seminole is the highest of high ends when it comes to East Coast, right? Like, what if these kind of pro-member events would start taking place at places like Running Deer, who hosts Gap Qualifier events? What if it would take place down at Ocean City, which I think has one of the largest member guests, like known to mankind, because they've got 36 holes down there? Um, You know, what starts to happen if it starts to all of a sudden not be these massively exclusive places? And places that you and I and a lot of, you know, common day folk frequent host these kind of pro member events. Do you a think it would garner the popularity in the local region? Because you got to think if you start opening to any pro, not just PGA Tour pro, you're opening to playing pro, teaching pro, club pro, you know, all the pros. I, I think it would be really cool to see this kind of start taking off um, at, at a bigger level than what it might already be.
1: Yeah, we definitely have something here, um, in the in the golf community standpoint. I mean, this pro member, it would it would be really cool. I know you'd see it more often at these higher end clubs, but like you said, seeing something at my course over at running deer would be sick. Because there's constantly times where I sit there, I'm wondering, like one person that comes to mind, pro wise, is Bubba Watson. I would love him to see him get around that course, especially on twelve. He'll probably, I mean, we always question it all the time with our guys. I mean, you remember the hole. It's it's the hardest hole in the course. It's a big dog (laughs) leg, right? It's long uphill and everything floats back to the water. Like, I mean, it's a steep fairway, but you know, he's Mr. Lefty himself. If he's, what's he, I think these guys would, you know, as far as they hit it, they would just hit big old slices or in, in Bubba's case, a hook to get it up and around those trees. I mean, I, I think it would be unbelievable, especially if they can get it in tournament like conditions be wild to see.
0: Yeah, no, it absolutely would. And I think, you know, while Seminole drew five of the top 10 players in the world, um, you know, I think when you start breaking it down via region, it'd be cool to see maybe guys from, you know, the MAPJ in the, you know, New York, New Jersey area, uh, frequent their way out to some of these events and, and put on display how good these club pros teaching pros and things like that are regionally, not just, touring pros of the world so um it brings the question something i think you know maybe, maybe we can flex our little content muscle here and see what uh see what noise we can make and, and maybe bring in one of these to either new jersey or maryland i think it'd be really cool for each of our clubs to to maybe go down this path and see see what notoriety we could bring to one of these events it's just, at the end of the day it'd be fun um you know you open it up to the public come watch i think it'd be a really cool showcase
1: oh for sure I mean, at this point, it's it's more about the showcasing rather than, like, the revenue aspect. And I think we got to kind of think that more minded. I mean, listen, you'll get the revenue aspect for sure. I mean, again, with all the content and available purchasing content that you can watch on a laptop, phone, iPad, you know, smart TV, whatever, you can get that. Let's showcase these courses. Honestly, you know, you want to go back to the fight with the PGA Tour, you know, that that whole hoopla. Think about it. Now you're being able to get more people exposed to these courses. <laughs> it's like, yeah, maybe maybe a light bulb will go off and maybe they would think, oh, this would be a sick venue to have at a PJ Tour event. Let's sure. consider it
0: for sure. So, I mean, just recapping again, Patrick Cantley and his partner took home the gross. Uh, Jessica Corder and her and her partner took home the net, which is pretty cool. The quarter sisters seem to always put themselves at the front and center of any leaderboard they're playing on. Um, Cantley posted already this year four top ten finishes. Um, He started the day with a bogey three thirty one on the back and then repeated uh, on the front, I guess, is inward nine uh, with a one-stroke victory in that gross division. But back-to-back, bogey-free 31s begs the question. We're in March now. Uh, we're, we're, we're just staring down April and the Augusta Pines and, and Magnolia Lane. Um, it, it, it starts to show to me as, as just not – I wouldn't say hot, but it's a hot start. But just over, like, astoundingly consistent top ten finishes – it puts Cantley in the front running who finished second at the Masters only a year ago to say, boy, he's kind of got one hand in in the jacket already, I feel like. He's got to be a front runner when you, when you look at guys that you could pick to win this coming year.
1: Ah, uh, definitely. I mean, just like his name's always in the, he- in the headlines in the past two, three months. I mean, he's going to be a force to reckon with. I mean, even going back to the Ryder Cup, Last year, right, we were looking at it, questioning these guys just don't seem fit to be on the team just because of the personalities that we thought they had. And it came out that they proved us wrong. And again, he's out there and he's (laughs) really putting on a on a show for himself. And it's just again, I think it's for these guys just getting that. They're just becoming comfortable out there. Where it's just oh I'm just going out and play another round like or their mindset is I'm going to win and next thing you know they're they're up there in the top ten every week. Well, and I look back
0: too, and and maybe this is just because it's my own personal um, involvement in all of this. When I went up to the BMW at Cave's Valley this past year, and he battled with Bryson DeChambeau, um, and then you know down the stretch of the FedEx Cup, he battled week in and week out. He was in the mix, high pressure situations. Um, that experience I think is already showing its kind of due pay in the fact that that, that was well-earned then. And he's seeing the, the fruits of that labor pan out now already. He just, he seems so comfortable. Um, I, I don't think he seems more animated on the golf course. He just kind of seems still his ho-hum self, which is good for him. He talked about that times and times before that. He just, he kind of like goes into robot mode out on the golf course and he just zones everything out. He's very stoic. Um, that's just something that I think is a winning combination for, for Patrick Cantley. And I'm excited to see not only the masters, but the rest of the majors this year. Um, I'm chalking him up for one this year. I don't know which one it's going to be, but I'm chalking him up for a major this year.
1: All right. You, you got I forget what we talked about before. I think I picked the masters winner already, but. I, I believe you did. And I believe it I was not
0: Patrick Cantley. No, I believe it it, if, if I remember it was a, it was a slash slinging left-hander. Yes, it
1: was. Um, <laughs> I can see him winning. I can see him winning the U S open. I seemingly like him um,
0: above your, your bubble Watson pick at the masters just because I think he's cut for that
1: course. Um, are you saying are you locking in your pick for the masters then is that no, absolutely
0: not because i also love a fiery wills out so i've got i've got a need. i need two more weeks to lock in my masters
1: pick yeah, you, you i already locked mine in long ago but okay all right Wait, we're getting and, and, there. and if
0: i remember correctly people can roll back the tape on us but you said an all too early <laughs> masters lock so yep
2: i'm sticking looks, with it i love I'm it sticking hey, with it you can't
0: you can't go back you locked it once I should it's locked, put money on them now yeah once it's locked you might as well just open up the DraftKings account and go to town <laughs> definitely <laughs> well guys if you guys want to lock in merch from enjoy the walk podcast you guys can go to www.enjoythewalkpod.com we've got a revamped website so even if you don't want anything just go check it out um we've got all of our live um Updates as far as podcasts and YouTube videos up on the homepage. We've also got a contact us page. So if you guys don't want to miss anything from blogs to podcasts to YouTube videos, anything that we produce, go sign up for our bi-monthly email list. That way you guys stay in the know-how of what is going on with enjoy the walk podcast. And as you check out our pro shop guys, we've also got a lot of new offerings in 2022 that you guys can take straight out to the course uh, from quarter zips to embroidered packable jackets that you can stuff right in the golf bag to new trucker hats and dad hats and crew necks and water bottles you guys can go have whatever enjoy the walk merch you want out on the course or just a leisurely sunday hanging out and watching golf so go check it out guys www.enjoythewalkpod.com so dante we talked the pros now we've got to talk our own backyard um maryland state golf association Delaware State Golf Association, the Gap. Uh, Everyone has their 2022 schedules out uh, and at our disposal. So uh, we, like we alluded to in the intro, uh, I'm stacking up as many tournaments as I can, uh, from U.S. Open local qualifying to U.S. um, or I'm sorry, U.S. Open local qualifying to Maryland Open local qualifying. Um, and probably Delaware state local qualifying too, just because I'm a glutton for punishment and I love me some tournament golf.
1: <laughs> and I, how many times have you had the conversation where, you know, we, we just need, I mean, you especially like, I just need to play more tournament golf. I mean, and, and so, so had, like,
2: like, like, right. Like let's break that down.
0: We, we talk every year, every winter. It seems like this winter has been longer than any we've had in, in recent memory, um, within the last like five years when it starts really becoming tournament season, it's now March 1st. Um, We out here in Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware have not had more than like two, three good golf days since the turn of the year. Really? Um, We've had a lot of snow, ice, cold weather, windy conditions, just a lot of no good golf weather. And then, you know, March 1st now, um you're looking at one of the first events of the year being may 3rd for myself that's less than two months away and i've got to go from palm springs to a almost two month gap and then go play tournament golf in two months again so there's there's a lot to be said about uh, the complexities of this northeastern uh, tournament golf
1: schedule i mean it's tough it really is. Obviously, you know, you're at a, at a different level and like the guys that are trying to play, I mean, unless you don't have, you know, a garage or some type of simulator, I mean, getting on the course is, is one thing. It's completely different, but I mean, you can you can kind of get on the numbers and get on the track bands mm-hmm. and OptiShot and whatever type of data recording device you have to get your your numbers in for your shots and you just kind of see where you're at and film your swing that's pretty much all you can really do i mean you can get putting mats but it's it it can transfer over to the golf course but it's still not the golf course you still be able to have to and you're hitting off a flat lie every single time
0: right and and it is something too where i i think this is the fun of it right like you and I both know that we're not going and playing for millions and millions of dollars this year. Um, but the fun of it is, especially on the Maryland state golf and and gap events is like from the amateur side of things, it's like, we just want to get through, right? Like you just, you want to AKA, you want to make a cut, right? Like where's the cut at, where's that cut line? And what do I have to shoot? I'm probably not going to go out and win this qualifier, but let me just get through and go play a really awesome course because most maryland state golf events gap events delaware state golf events are at like the cream of the crop for where they host their amateur and their open events so i think that's the fun of it for guys like you and i especially guys that are in like the five six seven handicap range where they're right on the cusp of not being eligible for these events um it's just to go make a cut have fun play with like-minded amateurs that have day jobs uh, that aren't doing this full time and just go play some fun tournament golf, because these are our majors, right? Like these are our majors every year to go out play and have fun.
1: And it's a great test. Like something like my level where I can get into some of these events, because some of the indexes, you really just need to be a seven or below. Right. Right. Which is, you know, pretty solid golf. And if in retrospect, and it's basically a great opportunity, because I mean, you can go out, it can be you know four or five handicap and crush your course right no problem you play it every weekend you already play it every day but being able to go to another course pretty much it's probably going to be private in tournament conditions you're probably going to be playing a little bit further back than you normally do to go out and re- really test where you're at it's a great kind of guideline to see or baseline to see all right where here I'm at this is what I worked on this is what I want to get better at from the previous year you know you kind of analyze what you did and now you go back again like this is these are the goals and you see where you're You're like all right well did I make progress did I did I drop back a little bit or did I you know move a little bit forward did I make the cut if you make the cut holy shit (laughs) then then you get your money's worth right now you mean some of these events are pretty on the pricier side but if you play pretty damn solid golf you play good golf you're getting two to three rounds for $175 well, and on I think, multiple private courses, and you can't beat that.
0: And I think the cool thing about it too is, right, at least the way the Maryland State Golf Association does it is, they host four qualifiers across the state of Maryland. At those qualifiers, you are, you can, if you sign up for it, you can sign up for the amateur and the open qualifier with one round. So it's not like you have to go play an amateur qualifier, pay that one fee, go play an open qualifier, pay that one fee, miss another day of work here or there. You're one day splits you into both, right? If you play well, you're in both. And then all of a sudden you play one round and you pay one tournament fee and you're possibly into at least worst case scenario. Cause the amateur event is a match play in Maryland, which we'll get into here in a little bit, which is, I think is really cool. Um, you're guaranteed two rounds in for the amateur. If you make the cut one qualifier, one amateur round, And then if you're in the, if you make the open, there's another two rounds. So you're guaranteed four rounds of high-end tournament golf at usually some pretty exclusive country clubs in Maryland for $300. So then all of a sudden you're like, boom, bang, bing. And usually, usually here's the fun caveat. Those practice rounds are like, especially if you're walking a greens fee, which is like 20 bucks to go play a practice round. So there's, one, two, three more rounds of golf for like 80 bucks. So then for like $380, you're getting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe eight, depending on where you do your pre- eight rounds of golf at high end clubs. And some that are extremely exclusive. And unless you were playing in the event, you're not getting it.
1: Yeah. It it's, it's a good opportunity to test your skills and really get the bang for your buck. and. Like with, um, like with Gap. I mean, they have four majors every year, right? They have, I think it's the Patterson Cup, the Mid uh the BMW Philly in, and then I think it's one more. Can't really think off the top of my head, but they all have qual- four separate qualifiers throughout the the before the tournament for you to sign up and play at. You get through that, that gets you into the championship. So your cost already is, you know pretty much got that out of the bag that's done and then you get to play some solid golf and then cool thing too is one thing i think it's the philly and it's this it's like a long strenuous match play like you play the qualifier then you play like 36 holes and then you get in the match play and it can be four or five days worth of golf i mean you're completely getting your money's worth out of that and that's so sick it's insane and it's like trying to follow it. it it's nuts and one of the biggest things too gap merged with D uh delaware golf association mm-hmm. which now we can they can get into our events and we can play in their events so that also opens up to all the delaware amateur opens so yeah there's four major opens and then if you're even if you're that good you can Try and qualify for the U.S. Open. That they got stuff there. Get your try and you know, make go for the dream. And now you got even more, you know, amateur side of things to play in the Delaware stuff. I mean, you can't. Gap is like taking over the. the the East coast and the uh, Philadelphia sector.
0: It is pretty nuts. And, and, you know, it is wild to think too, right? Like I am where I live in Maryland, uh, 10 minutes from ocean city, Maryland, but also less than a three minute drive from the Delaware border. Um, and then very close to you also the Delaware border from New Jersey. So it's pretty wild to know the vastness of what Delaware Covers, even though it's this little sliver along the coastline.
1: I know it's crazy. Um, it, it is
0: pretty crazy to think about. And then, with that being said, they're basically covering down to the beaches, um, which includes some pretty under the radar golf courses. Which I'm interested to see if the if the gap starts integrating some of these really private golf courses into the gap events like Kings Creek uh, down in Rehoboth beach, like Rehoboth beach country club, which very unbeknownst to most people still uses a caddy program heavily. It's like the only caddy program down here on the Eastern shore and they use it heavily. So places like that, extremely old, old membership base, old golf clubs, but really, really challenging clubs. Uh, Cripple Creek down here just did a massive renovation, massively private, massively in incredible shape. So like seeing gap kind of take over makes me realize, or I guess conceptualize the fact that maybe they can start moving some really neat events into these high-end golf clubs. that Delaware state golf association really wasn't utilizing uh, when they were running their events.
1: Oh, they definitely will. And the coolest thing about that, too, from what I've noticed is when GAP also merged a few years back with AGA, which is, you know, the Northeast sector, our, our bread and our bread and butter of the uh, Scranton area. And right?
0: EPA, baby.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. So when I noticed that, because, I mean, you remember Elmhurst, I when I played in my first mid-AM qualifier, I saw that one of the qualifiers was up at Elmhurst and I signed up because... I've played that course multiple times. Like I like the course, I know the track. So going in there for my first time, this is the perfect course to play. And I noticed that that year, and it seems like they do this every year, is they kind of, since gap is so big, <laughs> such a huge radius. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can go all the way out to, to the Harrisburg area almost um, with definitely Lancaster in terms of playing in, in events. And having to travel. I mean, it it can be it can be a haul to go play some golf. But what I notice is they give an opportunity to each area within Gap that all these qualifiers are going to be kind of in this area. And then the following year they're maybe being like they might incorporate the Delaware S since they just pulled them on this year. But you're going to see that because I saw it. That's what I picked out, which I think it's great. They're giving opportunity to all these courses. And there's just thousands of courses that pretty much Oh, and that's that's the most
0: mind-blowing thing about what Gap has done to date and what I'm sure they're going to do across Delaware. Um, The amount of insane good golf courses that are in Gap and now Delaware. I mean- Gap is just such a conglomerate now, right? Like Northeastern Pennsylvania through the Pennsylvania regions of like Philly and out towards South Central Pennsylvania, even like mid-Pennsylvania, it's just, it's nuts what they have their hands on and at their disposal. Um, With that being said, I mean, keep an outlook and keep a radar on some of their AM and open events. And if you can try and even qualify for them, I'm beyond certain um, the final venue is just going to be mind-blowing.
1: Definitely. And I even think we depending on how, you know, my practice goes and whatnot, I do have a few tournaments uh, lined up. I might get into the gap team matches because that's always fun to play. Yeah, Um, You can't, I mean, that's a team aspect. So that again, I love that. I I feel like I, I can't steer away from that. And obviously I got the parent child one with my dad that we did last year. That was a hell of a time. Those are like the only two that I have lined up, but you pointed out that, it's a great golf course down in Delaware since we can play in the Delaware stuff, the <laughs> Delaware, uh, amateur open. I, you and I, we could not possibly see ourselves on the, on the same course. On the same tee sheet. Maybe even that's exciting. Yes, um, yeah. And I mean, dude, you talk about the team
0: matches too. I, I literally just got, uh, this morning a, a email from Glenn Riddle about the team matches starting in four weeks. Our team events start in four weeks. Um, and we've got an interesting and but fun scenario that uh, we've got 19 guys that signed up for the list for a 12 man roster. So we'll have a little oh. play, little play in tournament. And um, that's a cool part of like what really happened in the game, I think, for everybody this past year. Membership rose, a lot of new younger talent, you know, 20s, 30s, even 40s. Guys came into clubs that they never were members at before. So um, we've got a ton of new names on the roster. Some guys that just don't play anymore um, are out. And I think it's a really neat scenario where it's like, all right, these guys can, can come in and, and maybe make some noise on a state team and see how far we can run it. Um, it's always interesting down here on the shore, at least like there seems to be these, cause it's, it's bracket style for us. It's like March madness. Um, we always seem to play teams across the Eastern shore to see who can get out of the bracket and get up across the Bay bridge and play teams from Baltimore and Washington County and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see this year if we can get, uh you know, across the Bay bridge and, and maybe make some noise out around the Baltimore area.
1: That'd be sick, man. I can't wait to see what you guys do. See where I land on the, uh, the what team, I like go, we got four teams again. And you know, that, that again, like you said, email came out, sign up. So it was kind of almost, I don't know how they do, you know, 12-man, but based on participants, that's how they basically, based on your handicap, is how they place you. So be interesting to see. I think um, our two-team got knocked out of the division last year, so they bumped down a division, so <laughs> whoops. See, that's um, and- the, that's the
0: coolest thing <laughs> for me, though, that we don't have down here, uh, you know, is just that you guys have so much play that there's an A, a B, a C team. Like, there's so much depth uh, to your guys' membership and what happens at the gap because the gap is so big. Um, so that's exciting that there's so many options that I feel like opens it up a lot more for a, a lot of diverse players to go and, and compete at a different level.
1: Yeah, and one thing that I, this is just, you know – I'm being picky here, (laughs) but, and it's smart on their part. I get it. I mean, you've seen gap. It goes all the way up to Scranton. Now it goes all the way down pretty much Southern Delaware and pretty far out West. Within the teams, whoever you play is generally in the same area. That you live, which is smart because you don't want to be traveling two, three hours to go play a match and have to drive all the way back. It's it's precisely not that fair. But at the same time, the whole idea is to be able to play these courses. It's pretty much the thing because you go to a course, six guys go to a course, six guys come to your course, you host them. It's a huge camaraderie thing afterwards. You try and beat them down and win. But after you know, after you shake hands on the 18th hole, you go there's a nice uh spread set up for you or a, or a selected menu and it all gets charged to like your account <laughs> but it's not it, it gets charged to that host account to the, but you split it between right. all the players so it's really not that expensive and it's awesome I I can't wait
0: it's a good time, man. I, I think that's the best part too, is like you just said, um, years in past, we've traveled to places like, like Talbot County, Country Club, or um just different places up near like Cambridge and Easton that's just like foreign to me. I've never been there before. I would have had no reason to go there, uh, other than a state team matches. So it's always fun to to get involved in those. Um, you know, as we jump, I feel like it's just a great camaraderie aspect to kind of pump off the 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 beginning of the season and and just everyone's excited at that point you know beginning of uh, end of march beginning of April it's just like everyone's like jumping at the bit to get to the golf course so everyone's Every, in such yeah, a good sport.
1: everybody's itching and and you can tell like I'm at other courses and talking to their pros and whatnot and you can just hear man they're just so how's the weather treating you like how's how's your course holding up and it's just like I'm telling you man that they're just itching to get out they're just they're just itching it's like we're right there we're right on that bubble. But sometimes they make a joke that we're getting to that false pretence of uh, spring, and then we'll get like a second winter, and then we'll right. get spring kind of in that. So who knows? We'll see. But, you know, it, it's football's over, baseball's on hold, golf's in full swing, and we're getting there
0: amen to that amen to that well speaking of golf being in full swing uh we're already kind of looking forward at least uh the golf world is to the 2023 uh Ryder cup out in rome uh so shout out to italy for being the host of the next Ryder cup which i think is really neat and unique um what is i, th- I feel like a long time coming uh the announcement of the captain for that and also a long time coming of zach johnson finally being the Ryder Cup captain uh, going into next year, um, been a co-captain for what seems like forever. Um, he just seems like the gritty, uh, kind of hard-ass, go-win-at-all-costs son of a gun that is a perfect leader for this team going into next year.
1: Definitely. I mean, he's been he's been involved like the past two Ryder Cups. I'm not so sure. I know he didn't play the last one, and I don't know if he played in the previous one, but the guy bleeds red, white, and blue mm-hmm. when it comes Ryder Cup time. And he's a great pick. I think he's going to do one hell of a job. So, small plug,
0: um, this allows us the perfect opportunity to absolutely just like fanboy. Uh, we, both Dante and I, were yes. hitting golf balls at PGA West, two bays down from the now Ryder Cup captain, Zach Johnson. So, not trying to say that Enjoy the walk was made it. I'm just saying that, you know, we might have made it um is all yeah, i'm trying we to were, put into the picture
1: he <laughs> we was sure geeking out too man it was that was that was a cool sight in the just because i mean you're just sitting there and it's like nonchalant just walks up he's got screw with them he's out there practicing he came out just for because you know he just came out play that course that was a pit stop before he went out and played the sony open that mm-hmm. that weekend which I thought was his bad and then came back and played that the following week. I loved it.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's uh, I think it's just really neat to be able to say at least for us that, man, we were kind of in the presence of um, what hopefully is history. I uh, hope those guys, I mean, win or lose, it will be history. He will go down in history as a Ryder cup captain. Um, so, you know, we were in the presence of that, whether he knew we were there or not. Um just cool to like topics to talk about here. Now that Zach Johnson is moving from a co captain role to a head captain role, uh, it brings the question into who then will be co captains. Um, and I think right off the bat, obviously, whether he's 100% healthy or not, Tiger Woods will most likely be there in some way, shape, or form. And if anything you can say about the uh, integration of Bubba Watson on and off the team, I think he'll be there uh, as a co-captain, even if he's not playing guys like Matt Kucher come to mind too. Um, The big asterisks. And I want your opinion on this with the quote unquote fallout, which we, you know, we've had our opinions on that as well with Phil Mickelson. Um, He has been a co-captain and trying to, you know, be on the team for as many years as you can count. Um, with all this BS drama and going into 2023, does Phil get left off the co-captain roster going to Rome?
1: means say no, but everywhere else I think they'll he won't he'll get left off. You know, I I hope for
0: camaraderie reasons, um it doesn't happen. Uh because Phil, if you everyone remembers correctly, last time we traveled, when I say we, the US team, last time the US team traveled, um, Phil Mickelson was actually part of the team, right? Like he played. Um, so and then the year after that, when when they went and won um out at Whistling Straits, he was a co-captain. Phil Mickelson, for the last better part of almost three decades, has been a part of that team in one way, shape, or form. Um, I think as much as the PGA tour at this time and place in March of 2022 does not like the existence of Phil Mickelson around anything <laughs> to deal with PGA tour. Um, I think it would be a massive miss to not include him, uh, in the inner workings of what is a Ryder cup for the U S
1: or, or he do stuff behind the scenes.
0: Yeah. I think at the end of the day, right. Like guys like Justin Thomas, Guys like who were part of the team last year, Daniel Berger, guys like Scotty Scheffler, um, who are very integrated with Phil Mickelson and, and have leaned on him time and time again, year in and year out, um, on and off the course, um, you know, I think whether that he's actually part of the team or not he's going to be in the text message threads. He's going to be probably on some video calls and some zooms if they have some zooms out there at at the Ryder Cup. And just, he's going to be part of it because if you look at players across history, he's on a very short list of most experienced when it comes to Ryder Cups for the United States of America.
1: Yeah. And two, when it comes down to like these team events and these nation against nation events i mean you can even look at it at the olympics right in like previous years it's like all that other bullshit just gets pushed aside and the main focus is that competition right there in front of them. so i think obviously he's going to be involved one way or the other it's just a matter will he be there or will he not
0: well and and so this conversation supersedes the conversation of the americans have not won on european soil in over 30 years they have not gone over and won in over 30 years so that begs the question what in the hell (laughs) do you think has to happen for the u.s to go over and win and and i want to start the conversation with with maybe pinpointing some tactics right does it have to do with the course setup that the europeans bring to us every year does it have who we bring are we maybe a little negligent on who we bring from year in and year out when we go over overseas to try and win a Ryder Cup or does it have to do with the captain right like so let's try to talk about those three what do you think maybe we've struggled with in years past that that we can possibly do better going into Rome
1: to go and get a win um from my involvement getting into the golf it seems like and you know reading up and following like the headlines and storylines it always seems as they just struggle with their style of play when they go overseas. It's not the American bomb and gouge. I mean, I know they try it, and sometimes it works. But they got they did they tried that strategy the last time and got their asses handed to them. So I think <laughs> it comes down to again, it when they go over there, it's got to be a ball striking performance.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're spot on um i think the number one thing that i've seen is um is that course setup right like last time they went overseas um they played in paris i do believe um and just got absolutely annihilated because the golf course setup was for a 4 iron and a mid iron player right like 4 iron off the tee mid iron into the green and just a ball striker's paradise and we tried to go over there and play bomb and gouge golf. And we got our asses handed to us. Um, when I look at some guys that in the past have been on the outside looking in um, Kevin Kisner, I, I think, you know, when you go and travel overseas has always played well at the open. Um, I, I think you maybe change the perspective a little bit and start looking at guys that not only are playing great on American PGA tour golf, but have played well over the last three, four or five years at the Scottish open at the, the open in general and say, where's your statistics across the pond? Because that's what truly matters. And when we look at statistics on the U S to pick our team, we're looking at the PGA tour statistics and not the statistics that we're then hopping on a plane, changing basically entire environments and going to try and win.
1: That's another thing you're talking about environments. I mean, How many times did these guys go over to say, you know, let me play in a few European tour events, or let me go over there for a period of time or well before to get myself kind of, I mean, we, we were there for what, a week and Mm -hmm. it didn't phase us jet lag. We were still on East coast time. That could be a big factor is one going over there and getting a feel for the, for the um, courses out there and weather. And two, just getting a feel on how like your time, your body reacts to the time change. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that plays a huge factor and people. I think like totally underlooked that.
0: Well, and, and that, and then, you know, in his quote unquote acceptance speech, if you want to call it that, um, Zach Johnson centered on a couple of those conversations, even, you know, they talked about um, basically saying the obviously course familiarity is paramount. He wants to get them over earlier. He quotes, earlier than any U S team has gotten to a Ryder cup venue. He wants those guys to be there. He wants them to be basically at home. He wants to try and get them uh, like an at home advantage. Um, And then he basically centered on another conversation, which I think you were just talking about there is um, keep the week fun and easy for the players. So time change, right? Like getting them on the same schedule Um, and then just kind of having the relaxed attitude of, Make it again. I think it all just boils back to the same conversation of what Zach Johnson was trying to make of. I want my players to go and feel at home on away turf. And I think that's the biggest difference.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you wonder if Francisco Molinari is going to make the team.
0: (laughs) I hope he can rebound because he was a juggernaut for the for the European squad for a long time. Uh, Molly would, would be a wonderful return, uh, him and Molinari and Fleetwood back in the, uh, back in the 2021 or no 2019 Ryder cup. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm just excited to see Zach Johnson as a leader. I think he's been just a sound voice for, um, United States golf for a long time. He's put in his time, um, and I mean, he's still out there playing PGA Tour events week in and week out. So he's very integrated with what will be the team this coming year.
1: No doubt, be excited to see. I just feel like you just he's just got to be. You, you, you can't just leave him out. You got. He's in. Yeah, he's already in. Yep. I mean it, and and it's fun to so like when I just talked about two
0: outside looking in players and and who maybe should travel versus who didn't travel um, we saw guys right on the cusp uh, Patrick Cantley, Harris English, Scotty Scheffler last year get in via Captain's picks. Guys that were just on the outside looking in, Will Zalatoris, Kevin Kisner, Gary Woodland, Kevin Na, Max Homa, Jason Kokrak. Guys like that that have world golf championship experience, have experience playing very well across the pond. Um, I think, I just think you have to take a different approach to it. Right. And, and when I say that you look at the team that we had last year, an absolute annihilation, I'm not saying you should have changed a thing, but where did we play? We played whistling straight, a very wide open, a very bomber friendly course. When you travel to a very different venue, it, it, it begs, the, it begs the roster of different expertise. So it'll be interesting to see who gets picked and who gets left off again. And if that becomes detrimental or advantageous to a squad that in this past year left, no questions unanswered. It was just an absolute throttle, uh, gas to the pedal from day one, never looking back kind of beating. So, um, I'm hoping that mentality carries over to the next Ryder cup because, it would be really really incredible to break that 30 year drought.
1: Oh oh yeah I think I think you're gonna see some of the same faces from the previous team and a lot new faces. Uh, I think kind of your veterans might be the Kevin Kisners. yeah so
0: speaking of exciting things to look forward to we've got the Arnold Palmer Invitational this weekend coming up a lot of heavy hitters. Uh, in this field, including Roy McIlroy, Hideki Matsuyama, um, and very, very many others. Dante, when I think of the Arnold Palmer, I just can't like not think of Tiger Woods' pure domination of this event from like 2000 on to like 2009. He won this event six times. Um, the very last time he won this event, he tied Ben Hogan's all-time win record. Um, so just it's a shame that tiger's not going to be there for the sole fact of he dominated this event for the better part of a decade. Um, But with that being said, exciting times ahead for who is playing this week. Uh, Other guys like Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris, Victor Hovland, Matt Fitzpatrick, Terrell Hatton uh, are, are also playing and cannot forget the world. Number one, John Rahm is also here as well. So, He's had a little rocky, slow start to the year. So maybe this might be the event for him to turn it around. Um, but as, as crazy as the last couple of events have been, as we're starting to see the star power work their way back into what is an early spring, um, this event's packing some punch with, with world top 25s and world top 50s.
1: Always. Uh, I'm excited. I don't know. It, it's something. You, every time I see this, I, I I just think of, like, Rory for some reason. For some reason, Rory always comes to my mind when it comes to this tournament. I always like this tournament because you got the – you got Arnold Palmer, you got the tees, you got the mixed tees, right? You got the, the Arnold Palmers, and I don't know. It just seems like a colorful tournament. It, it's, it, it's like that tournament that kind of gets you ready before the Masters of just that – I guess, enlightenment and brightness and seasons upon us. What I always love too. And I think, I think
0: I love what you just said about this really bringing you to like Roy McElroy, Roy McElroy classically wears the yellow pants, the yellow belt and the blue shirt on Sundays to in ode of arnold palmer and and i always love the side by side picture and for those of you watching on youtube we'll post it here in a second for those of you listening on just audio if you want to know what i'm talking about go check out our youtube enjoy the walk off podcast on youtube um palmer was famous for wearing the yellow uh pants the blue polo very tight athletic fit polo which was for back in his day pretty innovative and the little palmer umbrella on the left chest so um i love seeing how the pros go out and try and basically imitate palmer all weekend long from the from the get up to just the people talking about you know who palmer was and how special arnold palmer was to the game uh those stories seem to always bring to light what is just incredible about not only arnold palmer but his influence on the game to this day
1: yeah and it's just you know, they always drive the cart around with his bag and his clubs and that. And, you know, kind of, like, post him up as, you know, he's always here with us. And it's just it, – it's – all they talk about all weekend, which is great, is, is the stories that he always has and just how he's just, like, was always there and just knew everybody. Whether you met him for, like, the first time one time in the year, he'll, like, remember – he would have remembered you. Know? It's just – it's insane – it's awesome to see, it's like kinda like, damn man, I wish I got into golf a little bit earlier, but you know, just re you know, going back and re watching all his highlights and just trying to research and all the stories is just it's just remarkable of what what he brought to the game of golf. My own
0: personal story, I'll just tell here real quick before we get to our interview uh, with, with head of uh, agronomy of the PGA Tour, Thomas Bastis. Well, one story I want to talk about with Arnold Palmer, which I just think is just truly incredible because of the, the, the rise to fame he had and how high on the pedestal he was, right? Even to his last and final days on this earth, anyone who wrote him a letter, who addressed a letter to Arnold Palmer, he wrote back and it wasn't just like a thank you for writing, you know, stamped Arnold Palmer. He wrote back as he was pretty much finishing reading their their note to him. He spent the time and handwrote wrote letters and signed Arnold Palmer on every letter that he ever sent back to people. And I think it just it spoke to not only how appreciative of he was of his fans, but it spoke to, I think, his overall just like human nature and and how great he was as a human being so um it was just really cool as i saw fellow golfers within the pennsylvania region write arnold palmer as kids and write arnold palmer as um even collegiate players every person that i know that wrote arnold palmer has a handwritten letter from him framed in their room or in their study or whatever because he wrote them back and I think that just, just speaks worlds to who Arnold Palmer was as a man.
1: That's, that's insane. Insane, insanely awesome. Well, and you think too, right? How many people probably wrote
0: Arnold Palmer? How time consuming awesome. that had to be. And he, and he really thought nothing of it. And Like I said, I can't think of anyone in my little inner circle that ever wrote him and didn't get anything back. It's incredible. Speechless. So think of that, guys, as you're watching Arnold Palmer this weekend out at Bay Hill. Uh, It's bound to be an incredible tournament. Tons of firepower. Uh, But if anything else, if you don't even enjoy the play, um, just enjoy the aura that is around Bay Hill and and the place that Arnold Palmer built. Um, And and maybe even do yourselves a favor and just kind of watch on YouTube uh, just some great Arnold Palmer throwbacks and do your research on who Arnold Palmer was as a player, as a man. As a tinkerer, um, I think the other cool thing about Ronald Palmer was just his shop and how he how many clubs he built and would always, you know, lace his own shoes and and re spike his own shoes. And, and he basically he didn't play with clubs unless he he did the work on them. So um, he was just I feel like if you can call it a man's man of that era, um, he had his hands on everything that went into his bag. Uh, and I think especially today, that's just unheard of. Um, So just, he was, he was truly a trendsetter before his time. Um, And, and obviously today we know him as just the legend that is Arnold Palmer, but go look him up guys do a little more research than what's at face value. There's a lot of incredible stories surrounding Arnold Palmer. So, guys, like we said, we have Thomas Bastis on the podcast here coming up. PGA Tour agronomist and former superintendent out at California Golf Club. Uh, We sat down to talk with Thomas out at PGA West on the back patio. We kind of just talked to him about how he got into the job that he has now, uh, how many incredible spots he gets to go and set up for these tour pros and really what he looks for when setting up these events for the tour pros and what we might think um, looks great might not be so incredible to uh, PGA tour agronomists. So guys, as always, uh, appreciate you listening, go to www.enjoythewalkpod.com to check out the latest updates from us, as well as grabbing your latest enjoy the walk pod merchandise to wear on and off the golf course. And up next Thomas Bassett's. All right, guys, so we finally got it figured out. We're sitting here with uh, Thomas Bastis. Thomas, describe to us what you do for the PGA Tour, because we saw you walking out there when we were playing our tournament round, and um, it seems like you really get to get into the nitty
2: gritty of the golf courses. Uh, Yeah, I mean, in essence, I go in front of the tour and help improve the golf course any way I can add uh, assistance, uh, guide them through the process. You know, sometimes we have superintendents that might be their first time. Uh, sometimes we have seasoned veterans. If we have changes that we need to make to a golf course, I kind of stay in contact with that superintendent the entire year. So we really try to build a, a good relationship so that the, the course and the tournament continue to improve.
0: Sure. Now tell us, how long have you been doing what you do and, and how did you really get into it?
2: Uh, so five years. Uh, this May, and I was a former superintendent prior to that, and even before that, it was kind of one of those industrious little boys with a lawn mowing route. So, and just kind of got to have a bigger lawn, I guess. Taking
0: care of dad's backyard or something, something like, like that. Something I got paid. <laughs> <laughs> there you yeah. go. That's the key, that's the
2: key.
1: <laughs>
0: so what, you know, Dante and I got to play the stadium and the Nicholas course. They're also playing La Quinta Country Club out here for uh, the, the Amex this year. Tell us what you're seeing, because I know what we saw and we'll get into that in a little bit, but you've walked all the courses now. What are you seeing condition wise and what are you seeing that hopefully you can maybe improve on by the time the pros
2: get here? Um, well you know, a lot of what we do is it's, it's, it can be turf based and it's also relationship based. It's future planning. So you can almost put them in three different boxes. So even though I'm walking out there and I might be looking at present condition, I'm also thinking at uh, where we can be for next year. For instance, the turf out here is overseeded. And we're dealing with a current situation or a current overseed and the quality of that. And I'm already thinking about next year's overseed and what we can do to improve that or even from a playability standpoint, do we want to expand how wide the uh, overseed is? Improve, you know, like some divoting areas that because of, I mean, let's face it, this place is pretty popular, right? You guys are oh, a here. A lot of foot traffic. Ball so yeah, traffic. there's <laughs> foot traffic. There's cart traffic. There's ball mark repair. So what can we do to ease those types of things? Can we get a conversation with upper management and say, hey, you know, can we, you know, work together towards improving some things? Maybe some limiting some play, or you know, there's so there's it's more than just turf grass a lot of times. Yeah. So, and then along the way, you still have the present moment, which is trying to work on the conditioning that is here. With what we have, can we tighten up some mowing heights? Can we get the water shut off? Can we um, get the greens to this condition here where you know we're gonna have, not only are we gonna have pros, but this is an amateur field, and there's gonna be a lot of people going on here. So we have to kind of keep our green speeds in check. You know, We can't have greens that are 13 that the, while the pros might be able to handle it, you know, the round would be six or seven hours long, um, and, and we don't have that. You know, we want everybody to have a good time too, so there's all that equal balancing kind of going out there. So it's it's a lot of those types of things all at one time.
0: Well, and it's funny, because we talked, and I think I want you to touch on this a little bit, or ask about it, or see where it goes. What do maybe we never see, and you kind of touched on it there a little bit, that when we look at agronomy from, a Ten thousand foot meter, right? Because that's what you and I are when we're watching it on TV. We don't see the nitty gritty. What are we missing from a TV perspective that you guys
2: have to deal with on a daily basis? Um, I think one of the biggest things is how it all gets put together. You know, most of the work you guys are playing something that's already been prepared three hours ahead. You know, I mean, there's a there's a staff of 25 that are putting in 10 12 hours a day while you are here, and that's the thing that you don't see. Hopefully, you don't see them because you know we want you to enjoy. So it's, it's really those staff and um, the staff workings that it probably is, is not seen and in some instances we would say is, is underappreciated. But, you know, when you watch a movie, you don't hear about the gaffers and, the you know, the costuming people and all that kind of stuff that make the movie kind of come into play, you know. And you go to think about it, and you're like, "Well, yeah, that's kind yeah. of it's kind of interesting. Why does a movie cost a $200 dollars? And, and it's because of that. And maybe the less you see is probably, you know, the better of it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's the sign of a, of a better organization. Yeah, I mean, so. we
1: played played Nicholas today, and I thought it was absolutely pristine, the pure as can be. I thought the greens were perfect. Now I'm not so sure what your day was like today you get out there and take a look at it is there stuff that we're not going to see that's you know planning that say hey you know what maybe let's tweak this a little bit or you know let's let's see you know let's knock this back do you see anything were really you out there today as to what was going on with nicholas because i thought it was absolutely perfect
2: well I, I think that you know it's a collective uh addition of details <laughs> you know there isn't going to be a wholesale like, whipping change out on the golf course but you know if the sand is prepared a certain way we making sure that the depths are at a a certain area specifically you know green side bunkers and we're making sure that mowing heights around the green are a little tighter so that the ball might have might move a little bit further off the green if you miss you know those Hmm. types of things um, that the the greens might get an extra brush might get an extra roll because you know what we're we're getting is we're getting buy-in with their staff putting a little bit of that extra effort in there we're on the golf course so much, so that we can be more detailed with watering. You know, firmness is huge with our players. Um, and and if you're you know showing up for you know eight hours, and you're not coming back to the golf course, but you don't have the the uh, the option to you know let it get too dry. Mm-hmm. You know, but if we're coming back in the afternoon after play, well, we can catch it. You know, so those are a lot of things that kind of go to the premium level of, of tournament preparation.
0: And what's interesting for me is you talk about those kind of uh, details of of mowing here and and the firmness in different areas. When you kind of zoom out away from PGA West and you look at other places across the country, obviously going to Torrey after PGA West and then headed kind of, you know, the Midwest and then to the East Coast, what do you see at PGA West that might present some issues or some added bonuses that might not be available anywhere else in the country? The weather. I mean, yeah. Ding! Yeah. So, um, you got, yeah. You know, I'm, a, I'm just a little bit of
2: a wimp. I'll wear a, a, I'll, I'll wear a, a, a semi puff. But uh, the weather, you, you come out to Palm Springs and you just, you're like, ah, I get it. I know why people come here now. I was, um, I was one of them. Yeah, and we're relaxed. Here. I mean, heck, we've got the music playing in the background here, which is great. Yeah. So, um, and and the course from its standpoint of, of, of how it would be different on the rest of the tour. I mean. Um, you know, at this time of year, we're playing overseeded golf courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as the season wears on, we kind of move up in latitude. You know, all those other courses start to open up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a- in the beginning of the season, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. I mean, this, this overseeding took place last October. And if it doesn't go well, you know, it can have consequences, you know, four months from now. sure so those are a lot of things that you have to kind of keep aware of and, and, and try to give as much support as you possibly can to.
0: now for folks that might be tuning in and not really knowing what is overseeding you know what is that process and what does it mean for a golf course
2: so um with the extreme heat that we have here and the the, the where we are in latitude we have the difference between a warm season grass thriving and a cool season grass um because it's so hot, warm season grasses do so well during the summer that a cool season grass really has a hard time. Hmm. But in the winter, or when it gets colder, that warm season grass can't take the traffic, can't take the where it goes, in some instances, goes dormant. Mm-hmm. Well, we change the grass type to a temporary surface, to a temporary grass that's adapted for the cold. And then at some point in April or May, we transition it back to the warm. And in October, we put back to the cool. So they're really rebuilding or regrassing a golf course twice a year. Which is a lot, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So.
0: Well, and like you said, when you have to grow grass that many times, it presents the challenges. And if something minuscule can go wrong, it leads to bigger things down the line. Um, When you see places like this at PJ West, and I imagine that occurs across the West Coast with just the climate, um, what do you see that might present issues that you've had to battle in the past when dealing with overseeding?
2: Well, our big one this year was uh, just getting seed. And the seed price doubled, if not tripled. So if you were paying a pound of ryegrass a, a pound uh let's say paying a dollar per pound for ryegrass you're now paying three dollars and fifty cents good lord but that can blow <laughs> uh operational budgets for courses in the area like out of the water yeah. know, some people might we can't afford it and then on top of that you, you, you might not even get it yeah, transportation right so whether it's the trucking costs and supply chain and you know there's a lot of acreage out there that was converted to maybe a uh potatoes or something <laughs> that was going to get more money this year Yeah. and so when the acreage goes down well that trickles down to you and that's something that maybe the average golfer doesn't doesn't understand Sure. At, you, know, you have nine golf courses here well that could be a half million dollar change somehow that's got to come up so, wow so those are some things that are just, just economic that have nothing to grow with grass uh, nothing to do with grass yet it can have a huge impact on how we
0: Right, and I think no matter what industry you 've in you 've dealt with some sort of supply <laughs> chain issues yeah. this we're year we're, alone we're, 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 you know, really <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it 's pretty crazy to think about, and us as just standard golfers who go pay our greens fees and go out and play we don 't think about it um, because we're we 're you know presented with really pristine golf course conditions. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. So to so moving forward into you know, in the next week going forward and whatnot, you've walked, it seems like, every golf course at least once a day. Um, what are your day-to-day actions? Do you walk the golf course and then kind of make assessments accordingly, or how does the prep towards you know, the final days before a tournament kind of come together?
2: It's a mix of... Um getting to details that are, are critical to playability. Mm-hmm. And then we go to details that are going to enhance maybe the telecast or uh, the general field. And then we're gonna work towards um, grooving the staff into their specific roles that they're going to wash, rinse, repeat. These mm-hmm. are your specific holes. This is how we're going to cut the greens. This is how we're going to cut the cups here. So we get them into that rotation or that, that routine that uh, builds confidence, builds mm-hmm. speed. Um, you know, the first day of the tournament, you know, it, it's, it can be organized chaos. Well, it might even start off as chaos. Well, then the next day it's organized chaos. And then the next day the staff might execute everything good. And by the time the tournament, they're, they're just flawless because they've been going through that. So mm-hmm. the more that we can get into that routine is really where we start pushing ourselves into tournament.
0: Right? Yeah. That's awesome. I know I've worked grounds crew before in the past out at Elmhurst. Um, We have, you know, you have your days where you're 12 to 6. That's how you cut the greens. And then the other days you're uh, 3 to 9. And then, you know, you kind of make that rotation around. It's always interesting to see that kind of follow through. It's like, hey, we were doing something that's similar to how some of these PGA Tour courses uh, make their rounds around the golf course on a daily basis.
2: There might be some things that they do only one time a year. Mm -hmm. You know, this type of – this. This level of scrutiny for putting water out on a on, on a on a green, you know, no water goes out on the green without it getting measured and 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 specifically put in a spot, you know, and and sometimes you're you're changing behaviors. Changing
1: behaviors for anybody is difficult. And what's like the process? Like, you know, you have a tournament coming up, you have this location, you have this course set up. Your time frame, when do you come in, and how much do you save from start to finish? As to like, you say you get these guys in a rhythm and your rhythm. Really and then now the tournament starts and you're on your way to the next course. Like, What's that process? Where do you come in and when do you leave? So fortunately
2: with the PGA Tour, we return to many of the courses. Mm. So what's important for us is really establishing a relationship.
1: Mm. So,
2: I mean, it's a lot easier to, you know, get somebody to move in a particular direction if you said hello first, <laughs> if you have got to know what their kids' names are, you know what their resources are, um, those types of things. You're going to get more willing participants in that case. Mm. So we'll start that and immediate, immediately that we, we hear that we're going to have a tournament or there's a handover from one agronomist to another agronomist just to kind of to establish them. Um, and then from a typical protocol, we'll come in eight weeks ahead of the tournament and make sure that, hey, how are things going? Do you have the resources? Did you get the seed that you were planning <laughs> right. to Do we have the right amount of paint? Do we have any issues with volunteers? Do we need some help with some volunteers? Do we have the equipment? See, there's a lot of the checkboxes that we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's almost, I kind of say that, you know, it's it's what you don't see is is what we're trying to eliminate. You know, the fact that you don't see issues and problems is how effective that we try to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's kind of the, the, and then after the eight-week visit, We'll stay in touch. There might be a couple of check back points. Hey, how did that go? How did this go? And then I'm here the week before the tournament, and I'm here through the tournament. So I'm usually here 13, 14 days. Wow. And sometimes it might be a construction project throughout the year, and we'll come out and visit for that. You know, certain critical things that could impact the tournament we will make a special visit or something like that.
0: Sure. Now, I mean, I know our listeners are going to want us to ask, um, how how much does the PGA Tour and, like, your section kind of move into any major championships? Do you really get to affect the, the way a course plays on a major championship level, or are you more on the side of just the PGA Tour week in and week out stops?
2: Uh, 100% myself, PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, US, uh, the USGA has their own agronomists. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PGA of America has... Uh, their person sure. as well, uh, Carrie Haig. And then you've got uh, the Masters is the Masters.
0: Absolutely. So <laughs> that one goes without question, we right. feel. <laughs> but you know, for
2: us, I mean, our, our biggest is, is the Players' Championship, mm-hmm. and it's all hands on deck. And there are 11 agronomists to do 150 wow. tournaments from the Champions Tour, Corn Ferry Tour, and the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. So there's always, there's three of us out at tournaments right now. There's cool. three of us in tournaments. Um Hours, or Sorry, three in advance, three in terms, so there's six of us. So there's somebody always someplace, and uh, yeah.
0: That's cool. It, it's it's really neat to know that there's that many agronomists on staff, like, affecting things and, and making decisions. Because, you know, you always think, oh, it's probably just two guys or one guy. Like, he's making the calls, and it, it's neat to know there's that many hands in a pot, and it's still – like you said, we don't know about the issues because we really rarely see them. Um, it's really neat to know that there's that many hands in the pot, and yeah. it kind of really all comes together week in and week out.
2: Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, and it's more than just us. I mean, we work hand-in-hand hand with the rules officials. Mm-hmm. The rules officials set up the competition. They're the ones who set where the whole locations go. They're, they're the ones dealing with um, you know the, 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 the players on a one-on-one basis. So we're there to support how they run the competition. Mm-hmm. So there are two of them here right now, and then during the competition, there might be another seven of them to help in sure. the competition. Very cool. So And then we have, know our operations teams, we have Shotlink that does all the data <laughs> and statistics for how far somebody shoots something, and the top tracers, and... So yeah, and that's a big team.
0: That's an interesting talking point. We talk about it all the time, and it seems to come up in conversation with a lot of people we have on our show is just Trackman or Shotlink or something, all the data that goes into everything, changing industries. Has that changed agronomy in a way you set up golf tournaments?
2: Absolutely. And, and for the better, in some instances, um, you know, data for us helps bring consistency uh, towards uh, turf grass management. Mm-hmm. You know, we're able to. Um, Take metrics to know if we're going to have a repeat performance from the same year. You know, mm-hmm. last year was great, and we followed this data. Are we going to be able to repeat
1: that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. That's um. It's it's always an interesting question of where is that data affecting people in their prospective industries. Um, I can only imagine too, as as I've kind of seen from. My grandfather talked about it to my dad, and now kind of seeing it firsthand just the technology and the actual mowers themselves and the way they are able to get such a close cut. Um, it changes the way we play golf, it seems like, anyway. Um, and it's really neat to see that affecting you guys on a daily basis, too. So, Thomas, really appreciate the time. Uh, we're gonna probably get out of here and have some dinner, wrap up our last night here at Palm Springs. So, um, great running into you. Uh, pleasure you could make I'll some time for us. Yeah. So, how can people follow along for what you do on a day-to-day basis if they want to follow you along?
2: Uh, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at CalSuper. Cool. and then we also have our Agronomy, which is PGA at PGA Tour Agronomy.
0: Awesome. Well, guys, give them a follow, uh, get a little behind-the-scenes action on what goes on before the pros step foot on the golf course and see how the setups are taken care of on a week-to-week basis on a PGA Tour. So, Thomas, appreciate the time.
2: Absolutely.